ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Welcome into the Great Scott Show. It is the 8 o'clock hour on a Tuesday. And the legend is here, Jay Walker in studio. Good Jello. morning. Jello. What are your thoughts on Jello? Um It's it it It's great when you're about to have a colonoscopy. Other than that, <laughs> oh my God. other than that, I pass on it. Uh, but you can't drink the, you can't eat the red or the purple. Well, we'll uh, we'll be talking some football today. Obviously, uh, some Cajuns, some Sun Belt, some state stuff. A little bit on the on the Saints as well uh, in the NFL week. And uh, Jay will induct a new song into the TTT Hall of Fame. That'll be fun on Saturday before the Cajuns game. Before Georgia Southern went into Lincoln and and. You know, gave Scott Frost his his final loss as the Nebraska head coach. I said, all things considered, is this the best day in the history of the Sun Belt Conference? And the answer was absolutely yes. And then, you know, look, it was the Cajuns won. It was it was it was it was Ohio. It wasn't Ohio State, but they they took care of business. Uh, actually, not Ohio, excuse me, Michigan. Eastern Michigan. Sorry, not the Michigan. Ma- the max in my head. Yeah, that's that. There it, it was. There it Michigan. is. It wasn't Michigan. It was Eastern Michigan. Um, it was Eastern Michigan, and, and then you had Georgia Southern. You know, they went into Lincoln, and Nebraska didn't where they used to be. But it was, you know, they, that was it. They put it on them on the road. We've we've called the game there before, Jay. You know what it's like. Um, it was already there. I mean, as, as football is, is the driving force behind so much in college athletics, and you've said it many times. But when Carl Benson went yin, when everyone went yang, he went left when everyone went right with conference realignment. I don't. I don't think any of us could have foresaw how smart of a decision that that was, and it put Commissioner Gill in a position with this recent um, shift in conference realignment to win the battle handily against Conference USA. And I was talking to Coach Desimo on the show yesterday about the state of the Sun Belt from when he played and now. He's like, I played at a time when people were looking to get out, and now people are looking to get in. It's Best group of five in college football. How about that? I mean, I know that I know where your allegiances lie, Jay, but could you have foreseen that even ten years ago? No. I don't think anyone could. You know, I um but I but I think you chronicled that pretty well. Because, you know, Carl Benson navigated through some really troubled waters early in his tenure. He was heavily criticized for bringing in Idaho and New Mexico State. But at the time, you had to have 12 to have a conference championship game. And that was the only way they were going to get to 12. And Carl Benson correctly identified that having a a conference championship game was paramount. And 
when the Big 12 got football to say, well, you don't have to have 12 people because they were down to 10. Well, that enabled the geography to get a little tighter. But they made a they made some great choices. You know, Carl was the one who really pushed to add quality, historic FCS programs. And they went and they got Appalachian State and Georgia Southern, both of whom had won multiple national championships. Then they needed to, they needed one more, uh, and uh, they identified Coastal Carolina as that particular school. Those ads have all turned out to be very, very smart. And, and I think it gave a different dynamic to the conference because you had three schools move up, like you said, who wanted to be there as opposed to those that had been looking to get out. And, uh, you know, Commissioner Gill comes in, and thanks to Oklahoma and Texas, you know, you had four more schools, and now you have two distinct geographic divisions, and everybody's looking at the Sun Belt and saying, these people were the smartest ones of all. Go where you're wanted, not where you're tolerated. And when you see the football programs of some of the schools that left for, for CUSA or wherever versus the football programs of those who joined. And you're like, why, why was it was just about getting on TV, the TV market and all this stuff. And and back in 2011 cable was at its peak and no one could foresee that it was going to start going in a totally different direction. And I know that's just a, a, a piece of the puzzle, but it, 11 years ago, it was maybe the biggest piece. And now it's like, how could you have thought that was a bigger piece than just successful football? And when you have moments like you had on Saturday where Marshall goes into Notre Dame and wins and App State goes into Kyle Field and and punks the Aggies, um, you know, and Georgia Southern goes to Nebraska and, and Scott Frost is now officially done and they'll pay them $16 million to go away, and they pay Georgia Southern, what, a mil and a half to, 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 to beat them. Uh, it is it's moments like that. I mean, college game day is going to Boone, and App State's playing Troy, and it's on ESPN+. Plus. College game day is going there because college game day is about storytelling, and right now the Sun Belt is having a moment, and they are part of the story in college football, even though, you know, you know, the farce that is the polls might not show that. People that follow the sport realize that um, that it's it's the Sun Belt's moment in the sun right now, so to speak, and and they deserve it. They've earned it. They've earned it. They have earned it, and it's um, and it's a good thing. And there's a team in the Sun Belt that also has the longest win streak in the entire country. Uh, yes, there is. Yes, there is. Um, you know, you talk about the teams that that were looking to leave. And since those two teams left, not two teams, five teams left, Western Kentucky has won Conference USA twice in 15 and 16. Florida Atlantic won in 17 and 19. Those were the Lane Kiffin years? Uh, yeah. And, um, and that's it. You know, North Texas has not won a championship. Um, FIU has not won a championship. Middle Tennessee has not won a championship. And let's remember that Louisiana Tech has never won a championship. Even though they were, you know, not one of those teams, they've never won it. They were, I think they'd laugh. They'd be trying to move up and get in here too. 
So, yeah, I think there's, you know, if you ask the folks at, you know, North Texas and FAU, they're going to say, well, it worked out for us because we're going to the American. Um, what about the folks at Middle Tennessee? Folks at Middle Tennessee, you know, I was talking to the folks from Eastern Michigan uh, Saturday. And, you know, he brought up how, what a great move the league made with adding the teams that they added and that sort of thing. And he said, we really thought we were going to get Middle and Western. And I said, well, the only problem was Middle was broke and they couldn't afford to make the move. They needed that exit fee money. And uh, I said, if it wasn't for that, they'd be in the Mid-American right now. And, uh, and he said, we need to make another run at them. I said, ooh, that'll be interesting. Back's not the Sun Belt, but I think Middle will take what they can get. Well, you know, I and, and, and if that happens, then Conference USA is in a lot of trouble. I think they, you know, I think they're going to survive this, bringing up, you know, Jacksonville State and Sam Houston. I, I, I think they'll survive that, you know, because Liberty's coming in. They're going to be a player right away in the league. Uh, New Mexico State is not a great football program, but but they've got a story tradition in basketball that's going to help. That's going to appease Western for now. Um, but, man, you lose those two schools, and, and, and now not only do you have another huge hole geographically, but now where do you go? ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I've seen a take that I don't, I don't think I agree with it, um, I, th- I don't think it's it's as simplified as some have made it out to be. That, well, some of these big P5s, the players are now getting too much NIL stuff, and so they're not as invested as maybe some of the G5. I mean, we've seen G5s upset P5s for years. This isn't some new phenomenon. Right. We've seen FCS. I mean, App State was an FCS school when they went into the big house and beat Michigan. Correct. Um, I, I'm not... I'm not downplaying that that could have an impact on some players. What I am saying is that is not, to me, like the story here. That is not the reason. No. And and I think to, to, to try to break it down to that is you're just, you're trying to use something cool that happened in college sports to prop up an argument for something. And it's like, if you want to tell me that maybe some players, especially ones that get a bunch, because it's, Look, as much as people joke around that A&M pays every player, there's not every player on the Aggies that got life-changing money. Um, it, it's To me, it's a different argument. I, maybe maybe we'll see that 10, 15 years. I don't think we're seeing that right now. No, you, you know, what you're, what, what you're seeing when people say that are people who are really against NIL, and every time something weird happens, they're going to point to NIL. And, and I get that. You know, I mean, I don't like NIL either, but no, this has what you saw Saturday doesn't have anything to do with NIL and players not being motivated or any. Look, before they were getting NIL, you would have such a thing as a trap game because players weren't motivated to play an inferior opponent when they had a really good opponent on the horizon. We've seen that. For years. Or one right after, right? Correct. Sandwiched between the big game. Correct. So I'm, I'm, you know, no. We've said it for years. I mean, the college polls are a bit of a farce, but like, come on. If, if, 
Somebody called yesterday. They're like, how come when uh, Florida won, they went up there? And then when I'm like, you know why? Why are you asking? Like, it's A&M is still ranked in the AP poll. App State is not. Like, App State Had App State beaten North Carolina, sure, they'd, they'd be, be ranked, ranked right now. They'd be ranked. But you know, Marshall's 2-0. Well, Marshall's 2-0, but the only thing on their resume was a win over an FCS school. If they open the season with a win... Maybe they get ranked. But isn't that silly, though? Sure it is. I mean, isn't that, you know. Sure and, and we all know that if they were not in, you know, a G5, they, they would already You know, uh, look, the only thing I'm going to say about that is just win. Okay? Just go, go keep winning, and rankings will take care of themselves. We learned that two years in a row. If you go out and you win every week, sooner or later, they're going to take notice. They're going to have to. And... You know, you are in a situation where Cincinnati has a loss. Houston has a loss. Um, You are in a situation right now where if those schools keep winning, the winner of that game is going to play in a New Year's Six Bowl when they play at the winner of the game when they play each other, if they keep winning. Who who are you talking about specifically? I'm talking about App and Marshall. App and Marshall. Yeah. I I think App... They had gotten that season opening win. I think it would be no doubt. But oh no, if they had gotten the season opening win and beaten North Carolina and A and M, we'd be talking about them having an outside shot at the college football playoff. I don't think the Sun Belt is there yet, the way the American was and Cincinnati was a year. I ago. agree, you but, know, but I it, but because Cincinnati made it a year ago. It, there would be a lot of talk about it, not saying it would happen. Yeah, I don't think it would. There would be a ton would. of talk about it. Though. I don't think it would. Game they should have won, man. It was a wild game in week one. And, and look, it's you're only two weeks in the season. We know there's a whole lot more football left and all that, and it'll all sort itself out. But it was um, it was the biggest day in the history of the Sunbelt Conference. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be if a Sunbelt got a win uh, at a you know, against the P5, even if they weren't ranked, that was sort of the headline. Two road wins against teams that were in the top 10 at the time. Um, Georgia Southern's win, all that stuff. It was, I mean, it was all over my timeline. You know, like prominent college football writers that were like, put some respect on the Sun Belt, not just fans of teams well, in the Sun Belt. You know, I, I think it was, I saw the graphic, I think it was over the last five years, the Sun Belt's got more P5 wins than any other G5 conference. Um, yeah, there so you there. go. So there, uh, and, and, and look, we talked about the three wins that were signature wins for the league. Getting lost in that is South Alabama going to central Michigan and winning by two touchdowns. I have been saying for about three years now, the only thing keeping South Alabama from contending for a championship is the quarterback play. They have a quarterback now. And they are going to be a bear the rest of the season if they stay healthy. That's a good football team. They, I mean, I they played Nichols week one, but they beat them like, like a, lot a to drum. A little. I mean, like a drum. They just, they dominated them. And um, and if you want to continue the momentum, South Alabama goes to UCLA this week, and I'm I'm just telling you, 
if some things go their way, that's a winnable football game. If they if that happens, then the Sun Belt will have another moment. Even though UCLA isn't, you know, well, they're a team about to go to the Big Ten. They're two and zero. They're um, what's the line in that game? Fourteen. Current line I'm looking at is fifteen and a half now okay. for UCLA minus fifteen and a half in Pasadena, where the temperature will be great. How about the temperature here this morning? Man, I was I, I I wake up before the sun comes up and I I walk the dog at five thirty. I was legit. I was wearing the, I was cold. I was like I should have put a jacket on. What's going on? It's it's still the middle of September. We got uh, three nights in a row coming like that. That's pretty wonderful. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott. That is Jay Walker. We will uh, Jay will induct a song into the Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame in just a little bit. Phone lines are open, 337-269-1077. Um, I got a, a text from Melvin that said BYU. BYU is not eligible for the slot from the group of five because they're not in a conference. They're an independent. They're not eligible for that. Yeah, the, where they get the automatic gotcha. The, the highest rank G5 conference champion gets that slot. Right. BYU's not eligible for right. it. Well, it they're, correct. Now, they're eligible for the college correct. football playoff right. if they run the table. Right. But and they're, they're not eligible for that automatic G5. And slot. they're eligible for an at-large spot in a New Year's Six. But, sure. like, they're not – they don't get it if they get high enough. Yeah, correct. No, that's, that makes sense. And I hadn't even thought about that. But – you know, well, Notre Dame didn't either. Yeah, well, they're Notre Dame. They, they if they're even close to it, they'll put them in there. But uh, being zero and two, yeah, it's not not looking good for the old Irish. How about Marshall, man, that was <laughs> it, it. It was great, but Marshall needs for Notre Dame to start winning, so that way that that particular win doesn't get stained. Because look. It's a big deal. Marshall went in and beat Notre Dame. But if they wind up beating a six and six Notre Dame team, it's it's some of the some of the shine comes off. Um through forty eight games as head coach, or no, more than that. Shoot, now we're fifty something games in. Kevin Sumlin. And Jimbo Fisher, 50 games into their, their coaching careers at A&M, someone had a better record than Jimbo. Yeah, Kevin Sumlin, yep. It's a whole lot of money to pay for not winning as much. Well, and you know what? Texas A&M's got about 100 million reasons to hang on to Jimbo. How about that agent? Goodness. Uh, I think I want to make sure I'm I'm getting the name right. Um, Josh Pate, who does a lot of college football stuff. Uh, he's host of the Lake Kick Live and Lake Kick Pod. He had a great – he's like, I can explain A&M's problems in 30 seconds. If you go to your refrigerator and you have a gallon of milk that says it expired in 2014, you're going to throw it away. He said Jimbo Fisher is still running an offense that expired in 2014. It can't work today. Wow, it it that's that's a rough spot. I mean, if Jimbo, if they hadn't gotten that upset win against Alabama last year, that 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 covered up some of the nasty 
scars on last year's squad. Almost almost putting makeup on him a little yeah. bit. Like, oh yeah, but but you did this. And and it was Saban's first loss to one of his former coaches and he got all this hype and it's like that was that was a big moment for him. But you're forgetting all these other areas they really struggled in last year. And um it's not it's not good over there. And look, the the yell like what do they call it? The yell um midnight yell pack midnight practice. yell thing. That's been going on for years, but it makes the rounds on social media every now and then. It is kind of cringeworthy bad when you have somebody doing terrible stand-up saying offensive things about Appalachian State, but then it's funny that the next day they got beat by them. But I've seen some people like, what is that? I'm like, that's, that's been happening at Texas A&M for as long as I can remember. See the, uh, the video, uh, the SEC, uh, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Um, hang on. All right. Because there's a video that if you have not seen it, you absolutely have to see it. SEC shorts. SEC shorts. It says the college football ER was busy this weekend. And it is hilarious. All right. I've got it right here. I might, I might have to watch it during the break. Does the audio work or you got to have the video? No, you you really need both. Okay, it's not worth playing on. Right. Oh, uh, no, you no, you really need both. Okay, all right, I'm going to check that out. Um, getting back to the Cajuns for a moment, I asked you, and you answered it, but I'll ask you on the air: Have you ever seen uh, a UL football game with a more just polar opposite? Halves, and I know it was a weird first half because you had the the hour long lightning delay, and then you had a few more minutes. But strictly first, second quarter versus third and fourth quarter, have you ever seen? I guess a bigger difference. Yeah, um, I think a lot of folks who are on the upper side of the spectrum age wise remember the USL comeback against Northeast Louisiana, down twenty six nothing at halftime, and Dwight Prudham. Uh, had a 70-yard quarterback sneak that kind of jump-started a 40-point rally, and 40-26 to 26 was the final score. There was also a game in the HUD years where the Cajuns shockingly fell behind to New Mexico State. I want to say they were down 28 to nothing in the first half. But by halftime, it was a football game, and they wound up, they wound up winning. And I'd have to go back to see exactly how many points they fell behind. But it was at least three touchdowns that they were down in the game. Was the final 49-28 or something, something like that? Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. I guess I forgot about that one. That would, that, and I mean, you know what? I had forgotten about it until just now. <laughs> I, um, I, look, they couldn't, they just, they, they couldn't get anything going. I mean, five possessions, five punts. The last possession was just a kneel down. I mean, we're not, you know. And in the second half, seven possessions, seven touchdowns. You force five turnovers, which through two weeks of the college football season, they're second in the country in turnover margin behind USC. Um, Well, small sample. It's not a small sample size. This is a trend that has continued from, you know, the last couple of seasons, Jay. And I think... Protecting the football. No turnovers yet this year. I mean, have they even put it on the ground yet and recovered it on their own? Have they fumbled at all? I don't think. They have not. You know, they're. Oh, had- yeah. Yeah. They, they had one fumble in the first game. Okay. And they jumped on it. Right. 
So you've had one fumble, you recovered. I can't remember ones. Have, have there been, because, you know, I've been here in, in the studio and we're kind of seeing some of the game video-wise, seeing other plays, we're chopping up highlights. Has there been a play where the opponent just dropped a, a, a sure interception? Like, it's it's not a fluke is my point. Um, and they're creating turnovers on the other side. That's That's the kind of trend that... You talk about the number of one possession games they won last year. You talk about having the longest win streak in Division One football at now fifteen games. That to me is the top of the list. I know it wasn't the top of the list for this 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 game last week because you scored a bunch and it was a tale of two halves, and that's kind of the lead. But if you want to say what's the biggest key to winning fifteen in a row, will be one of the best teams in the country in turnover margin, and you will be in every single football game. And the games where you have superior talent, you'll win by a lot. And the games where you don't, you, you have a good chance to win a close game. And that's what they've done. They have uh, they have done that. You know, the Cajuns were plus fifteen in uh, turnover margin a year ago. Uh, they're already plus seven in turnover margin so far this year. Now. I just got a, uh, I just got a text from uh, Kent talking about big comebacks, and he asked, "What about the comeback at Houston in 2006? I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far were the Cajuns down in that game? And they were down 21. 21 they came nothing. back from a 21 point deficit um, to to win." Um, and and I want to say that that game still wasn't competitive at halftime. I, I would have to go back I don't, and check. Yeah, I don't remember when they started to come back. It kind of just, it was, listen, you know, to be clear, I think that's a that's a different conversation if you're talking about comebacks. Like, Saturday's game didn't feel like a comeback. You know, it was, it was 14 nothing. You know, it didn't, it didn't. It, it it didn't feel like, oh, my God, there's nothing they can do. And part of that has to do is it was it was Eastern Michigan and Cajun Field. You weren't on the road against Houston, and UL's in a different place football-wise than they were then. Um, I, I'm, just streak, I'm just speaking strictly of just how vastly different two halves were for, you know, the UL football team. But I think best comebacks, I think that's a, that's a different conversation. And certainly the, the win against Houston's in there because, let's be real, Jay, I mean – you you were in the press box. You weren't thinking we're walking out of here with a win tonight. Hey, oh, they down were down twenty one against Kevin Cobb for crying out loud. <laughs> You're not like we're going to drive back to Lafayette tonight, and there's there's going to be a win in hand. Um, the New Mexico State game was twenty eight to seven. Um, the Cajuns had closed to within twenty eight to fourteen at halftime. New Mexico State got a fourth quarter touchdown, forty nine to thirty five. Did one of the running backs have like four touchdowns in that game? Um, I think it was. I think Alonzo Harris. That might have been. Well, let's see. Alonzo Harris had a thirty-yard run. Alonzo Harris had a three-yard run. Alonzo um, Harris had a five-yard run. Elijah McGuire had a fifty-one-yard run. Alonzo Harris had a six-yard run and a two-yard run. Yeah, he had five touchdowns. Five touchdowns. There you go. Five touchdowns in that one. Um, and that might have even been homecoming. I think it was. Cajuns at Rice this Saturday, Jay. What is your uh, expectation for this matchup? Well, I, I agree with what Mike said last night that it's um, it's probably the best team the Cajuns have played so far. 
Um, I, I do think they're an improved team. Um, Cajuns are favored, um, but I don't, you know, this is a game that, that they're going to have to go out and play well because Rice is capable if the Cajuns make a couple mistakes. But um, they're getting some pretty good quarterback play. Rice is a hard team, it, unless you watch film on them, and I have not done that. It's very difficult to peg Rice because in their first game, they went out to the West Coast. They turned it over a bunch of times and got beat 66-14 to 14 by USC. Last week, they had five takeaways and just beat the snot out of McNeese. So what do you, what do you take from that? Well, you don't take anything from that because there's nothing to take. So you have to watch film. And Mike has. I haven't. He, he really likes the quarterback. And he said there's a guy in the defensive line that, that's got a shot to play in the NFL. And what I take from it is just don't turn the ball over. Just well, keep, keep it, the trend up you know, of just I, protecting the football. I looked at, Ricky Bussell said it. Mark Hudspeth said it. Billy Napier said it. I've been saying it for 20 years. There is no more statistic more important in college football than turnover margin. Mike said that any game that they've been plus two in, they've won over the last several years. And they talk about it on the on the sideline, the defense will say, come on, we got to get two. We got to get two. And then they get one and say, okay, we got to get one more. Um, there is no more important statistic than that. Teams that take care of the football win football games. Imagine that. Coach Desmond also said about Rice, they're the most multiple team on offense and defense we play. More gap-oriented. Defensively, they pressure a lot more. Got to be sound. Part of being sound, obviously, is number one on the emphasis list that you said, protect the football. Protect the football, you win football games. Get careless with it, you lose. I mean, we can circle back to the Saints, which we'll get into in the final segment, but, you know, Jameis Winston, Jameis, well, just protect the football. That was the story of him in Tampa. So far in New Orleans, he's protected the football, and while that certainly was not the storyline on Sunday because of how insane that game was, that's look at the playoff teams every year in the NFL and go look at turnover margin every year. You also had, you know, and again, Mike and I talked about this um, last night. You know, he said that, you know, the th- one of the things that they coach and coach and coach and coach and coach is ball security. Now, Cajuns only had eight turnovers all of last year. Now, part of that was because Levi wasn't going to throw a pick. He was going to throw the football away before he was going to take a chance and throw a pick. You know, we haven't seen what the Cajun quarterbacks now are going to do. But in Billy Napier's four years, the Cajun running backs in four years lost two fumbles. Somebody got a hat on Trey Regis in that Superdome game against Mississippi State got a hat on the ball and jarred the ball loose. And then uh, Chris Smith last year put one on the ground. That, that, that's been it in the last four years. They've lost other fumbles, but it's been on special teams or the wide receivers, or, but not the running backs. That's key. Protect the ball, protect the score. 
ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. That is Jay Walker. You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Hey, sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now, back to more of the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. What I mean about TTTs that make you smile? Absolutely. See, you heard that? And no, you yeah, lit oh, up. yeah, that one, that one made me up. smile right away. Wiener dog. Skiing. Down <laughs> on the beach. Sports. <laughs> ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. <laughs> I'm Scott. That's Jay. Gerald Broussard joins me Wednesdays during football season. He will be in tomorrow. Did you happen to hear? I don't remember if it was in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, and and I've got to find it. Okay, I got I got to call the people at Learfield. Say you got to find this and, and send it to me. When G, we were talking about Eastern Michigan with the heat and humidity that they were gassed. Okay, so and but it was either late third or into the fourth quarter, and he went into this soliloquy about if you're a lineman. And there's a lot of heat and humidity. And he started talking about your butt crack and and all 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 the stuff down there getting moist and, and and it was and he just went on and on and the more he talked, the more I was trying not to laugh out loud. And I gotta you might ask him about that. I, I, I so I was in and out of the studio. I was training some guys. I feel like I would have remembered him talking about moist offensive linemen and you trying not to laugh. But now I gotta have the clip because I want to play it when he's on tomorrow and just see his reaction. I, I it's 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 an amazing thing. ESPN Live. Yeah. So when if, when did that if, happen? What 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 part in the game? I'm gonna say late third or into the fourth or, or the fourth quarter. I mean because it, it was, you know, Eastern Michigan had had, had enough. ESPN Lafayette. Um Bromart in New Orleans, a grocery store, started selling fail cakes yesterday with the score of the Atlanta-New Orleans game in the time, 26 to 10. Good job knowing your audience, by the way. Um, you turned it off. I did. You did. You, and you're, all you have seen from the Saints this year to this point is horrible football. That's outside correct. of like two Taysom Hill plays. I did not watch any of the preseason because I'm not into football practice. Um, and I watched until the middle of the third quarter, and I was thoroughly disgusted by what I saw. So I turned away and watched the Steelers and Bengals 
Joe Burrow turned it over five times. He had the worst game of his NFL career. And uh, But I'm not taking the blame for that because he had already done that by the time. I mean, because, look, those five turnovers came early in the game. Um, and, of course, you know, you got to crawl at the bottom of the screen. They update scores constantly. And um, I happened to glance down and saw that it was 26 to 18. You know, and then I happened to glance down. And so I knew they were coming back. And I even said out loud, I said, wow, they're within two and there's, a, you know, two minutes to go, whatever it was. And I picked up the remote and I said, nope, not going to do it. Put the remote back down because I didn't want to jinx them. Because I knew if I turned it on too soon, they would turn the ball over, they'd miss a field goal, something bad would happen. So I uh, just stayed with the crawl at the bottom of the screen, and uh, you didn't see it till it went final. You didn't. But you, I, did you forget who they were playing? Because you know that team is notorious for blowing leads. Yes, yes, I know they are. But I didn't see anything in the first three quarters that that told me that that had an icicle's chance in hell of happening. Just in the last three years, just in the last three years. The the Falcons have lost three games where they're up by fifteen or more in the fourth quarter. And we're not even going back to twenty eight to three. And the rest of the NFL, the entire NFL has only lost two. Wow. So Jay's Jay's Saints experience on Sunday. What did it feel like, Jameis? Where was the pain, Jameis? Yeah, just pain. It was pain everywhere. So we gotta keep on pushing pushing through and being resilient. But Jay wasn't resilient. He just said, I'm not doing it. I, I'm not no. It was it was I, yeah, I, I guess I've now. I kept saying yesterday I'm still processing the game because I was. I guess today I finally finished processing it. But week one, man, especially now, and and several callers brought it up, and I got Jake Delome on later this week. I'll talk to him about it. I'm sure he'd agree, though. It's it's the it's the week where you have to where the most shenanigans is going to happen, the most stuff that isn't a tell all for how the season's going to go. Because even though you don't watch televised football practice, one last preseason game, more players today not playing in these games, less padded practices in training camp, all of it. Teams were rusty. Like Geno Smith looked great last night. Geno Smith played all preseason, all preseason, because he was in a quarterback battle. And uh, Mike, who has been calling the you know the station for years. He asked me yesterday. He's like, Do you know, if the Falcons you know played a lot of their guys in the preseason, I said I I don't because you know it's hard enough to watch the Saints preseason game. I'm not going to watch the Falcons, but it was a good question. And I went and looked. They did play a lot of their starters in the preseason, and they they were not rusty. They were ready. Um, you know, the Packers they don't they don't do a lot in the preseason. Last year the Saints skull drug them 38 to 3 they looked bad against minnesota who by the way i think minnesota's gonna be good this year i picked them to win their division but week one is when you see a lot of rust and i think by the time you get to week four and week five is when you really get an idea of what's what having said that i'm just it was a joy to watch the falcons fumble that away multiple times the saints fumble it back in atlanta say no 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 no, no. this is our thing we're the team that blows leads in the Saints who downplay all week. The, pl- the, the players, they play it perfect, Jay. They downplay the rivalry during the week, and then on game day, they're just all in. I mean, DeMario Davis is walking into the post game with a rise-up flag, and they're, they're just taking jabs at the fan base. 
it couldn't happen to a better team. Did you? Uh, it was wonderful. Did you hear what Sean Payton said about? The, oh yeah, but in the, see, in the pregame. Yeah, that rivalry died sixteen years ago. Sixteen years ago. But that's just him understanding the rivalry. Yes. I mean, the petty is just at a whole nother level. It 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 is. It's you know it, it it's gotten to the point now. If you're not a Saints fan, if 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 you root for the Falcons, and now they're just rubbing your nose in it every chance they get. You know, if the if the shoe was on the other foot, we we'd be ready to go kill somebody. And it 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 was for many years. The Saints won the first game ever in the series in 1967. The Falcons won the next ten. I mean, they had such a big gap in this all-time series. Yeah, Saints finally caught them. Well, in the regular season, it's now tied. All-time, right. they have that one playoff game. So Atlanta still has one game on them, 54-53. to 53. But that gap didn't feel like it was ever going to close until, really, until recently. And it's, it's just glorious, man. It's, just, it's wonderful. There's nothing better than being Atlanta. There's nothing more funny when they blow a big lead. And the fact that they did it to the Saints, it just, it was great. It was great, Jay. And I think now people outside of maybe this region, you're starting to see, I would say in the last few years, the national media is starting to realize, oh, okay, we remember the, hearing that this was a rivalry, but I think we're starting to understand more why it's maybe just how heated it is. It's starting to get a little more national play. Yes, it is. Forget the Falcons. That's what I got to say about it. All right, Jay. Great seeing you. Good to see you, too. Thank you for playing Fluffy. (laughs) And we will, um, Jay, we'll talk to you guys Saturday from Houston. Louisiana taking on Rice. Cajuns 2-0, 15 straight wins dating back to over a year ago. And uh, they will uh, be at the Rice Owls pregame at 4.30, kickoff at 6.30. I will talk to you guys tomorrow right here. Same time, same place.